Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Whitfield Report. I'm your host, Sam Whitfield, broadcasting live from NGC TV Studios here in South Florida. And I'm sorry about the uh, late start to, to uh, tonight's show. We uh, had some technical difficulties with the streaming software, but they uh, things have gotten re- resolved now, so we should be up and running um, at normal capacity now. At any, at any rate, folks, uh, thanks for joining us live. Quick announcement. Um, I want to make a couple quick announcements. First off, uh, this will be our last show in the current time slot. Um, starting on, starting next week, I'll be moving the show to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as opposed to our normal time slot of 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the reason being is I, uh, I've joined a network of YouTubers slash podcasters known as the Dangerines, and uh, the Dangerines are kind of an offshoot of the uh, Unbearables, so to speak. The the Unbearables are, of course, still welcome to watch, and participation from the Unbearables is encouraged, but the Dangerines have a stream of their own, uh, called the Danger Zone, and, uh, the, the Danger Zone will be starting at 8 p.m., uh, Eastern Time next week, that's when they'd like to start the show, so, with that in mind, I have graciously agreed to allow them that time slot, um, so that they can start their show at 8 p.m., so, uh, from now on, the, uh, this show, the Whitfield Report, is going to uh, begin at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, then you can catch the Danger Zone at 8 p.m. Eastern Time after this show. Uh, so those are the announcements, uh, and as always, you can reach me by... Uh, with the following information, as always, for those of you watching on video, you can clearly see this, but for those of you listening on the podcast, you can tweet me at assemblybund or underscore NGC, hashtag Whitfield Report. You can also contact me on Gab at Sam Whitfield, Instagram at Sam of you underscore NGC. Of course, you can download the audio podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts from by going to anchor.fm forward slash Whitfield Report and links to the podcast and everything else is on that page um, where you can download the audio version of this show. Alright folks, so with that in mind I want to give a shout out to uh, our uh, chat participant participants right now we have uh Kimmy and Weasel who are regulars. Um hopefully we'll have some more of our regulars dropping into the YouTube 
uh, chat. No Periscope simulcasting uh, tonight, folks. I couldn't figure out. Periscope has changed some things around, and uh, now Restream isn't letting me uh, fully integrate with the streaming software. So apologies to the people who would watch this on Periscope usually. But nevertheless, we're going to have a great show, and it looks like my audio quality is a lot better uh, too. So I'm glad that I got that fixed as well. Alright folks, um, so for tonight's topics, we have a couple big ones that I want to uh, cover. Jordan Peterson um, was profiled in the New York in the New York Times this week. This profile came on Thursday. And it got a lot of notoriety. It was trending at as the number one topic on Twitter for all of Thursday night and a, uh, a significant portion of Friday, actually. Now, yesterday I was actually uh, under the weather. I still kind of am, uh, as some of you might hear in my voice. It's nothing major, just uh, allergies somewhat, but still... Uh, seasonal allergies can be somewhat of a bitch uh, sometime. But anyway, I was, uh, although I was in bed for most of the day, I did manage to uh, read this New York Times profile on Jordan Peterson. And I, I guess the most obvious observation I can make just uh, right off the bat firsthand is it's written by a feminist, uh, by a blue-haired feminist, and it's pretty obvious that this is the case, and it's pretty obvious that her bias is against uh, Jordan Peterson from the outset, and uh, it seems like she tries to make Jordan Peterson out to be some sort of fascist uh, slash communist sympathizer, which is ironic um, because Peterson, as most of you know, is a staunch individualist. That's what his show uh, tends to thrive on. Or not his show, but rather his whole uh, doctrine tends to be all about his individualism and... Uh, you know, individuality and being one's best self. I mean, he... I don't want to simplify things and say that he's a motivational speaker because he's clearly much more than that. But, you know, at the end of the day, he is there to help people improve their lives, and that's his bit. But because he's not on the political left, uh, they can't stand that about him. So... Obviously, since the left doesn't know what to do with him, they must destroy him. So I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to be reading this parts of this uh, op-ed piece on Jordan Peterson from the New York Times. And for those of you watching on YouTube, um, you will be able to uh, re read along with me. 
on my screen. Sup, Berta Bear. Thanks for uh, hitting the like button and thanks for uh, commenting in the chat. Also, make sure you hit that subscribe button, buddy. I, I appreciate it if you haven't already. Um, anyway, though. So I'm going to go through this uh, Jordan Peterson New York Times op-ed piece. And I, I know, folks, it's the New York Times. And, uh, you know, it's not... It's not my favorite choice for uh, reading. It's not what I choose to read in my free time, usually, uh, except for show prep. But uh, know thy enemy is the case. So in this case, so in this instance, let's go ahead and uh, do a dissection of this op-ed. And uh, it's it has a great title. I'll give them that. I'll give the New York Times that. Uh, so here's the, uh, here's the title of the piece. Jordan Peterson, custodian of the patriarchy. He says there's a crisis in masculinity. Why won't women just, why won't women, all of these wives and witches, just behave? By Natalie Bowles, May 18th, 2018. Oh yeah, so that was published, it was... I'm sorry, it was, I guess it was written on Thursday, but then it was published yesterday, so. <clears throat> Toronto. Jordan Peterson fills huge lecture halls and tells audience there's no shame in looking backwards to a model of how the world should be arranged. Look back to the 1950s, he says, and back even further. He tells audiences that they are smart. He is bringing in the knowledge. Yes, but it is knowledge they already know and feel in their bones. He casts this as an ancient wisdom, delivered through religious allegories and fairy tales, which contain truth, he says, that modern society has forgotten. Most of his ideas stem from a gnawing anxiety around gender. The masculine... Spear is under assault, he told me. It's obvious. In Mr. Peterson's world, order is masculine. Chaos of chaos is feminism. And if an overdose of femininity is our new poison, Mr. Peterson knows the cure. Hence his new book's subtitle, An Antidote to Chaos. Alright, now... Right off the bat, the left was already, within five minutes of this getting posted, ladies and gentlemen, the far left was already criticizing this very phrase up here. Right, I've, I've got this highlighted. Um, in Mr. Peterson's world, orders masculine chaos is feminism. And if an overdose of femininity is our new poison, Mr. Peterson knows the cure. Alright, so I've got that highlighted. You see that for those watching uh, on YouTube. And uh, they, and by the way, hello to uh, Ludwig and Katrina and Jason. If you uh, pop in into the comments, I might not be able to uh, get in there fully. And uh, hello to you too, Brian. Um, but notice how 
uh, Nellie Bowles, gee, she even sounds like a feminist, has already phrased it so that, you know, chaos is, is feminism and that's a, a bad thing. Well, what, no, what, Peter, what Peterson is referring to and what he's referred to in his, uh, what he's referred to in many of his lectures is that men tend to be better at organizational tasks, hence organizing things, and uh, thus order being more of a masculine trait and creativity being more of a, uh, a feminine tra trait. That's what he said. And, uh, you know, creativity, folks, usually tends to be more chaotic, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just is more feminine and than uh, order is. And, uh, you know, if Miss Bowles had mentioned that in her op-ed, then not that many people would be, you know, screaming at what a sexist uh, Peterson is. But, you know, uh, she, she left out the context of Peterson's lecture in this case. So, uh... You know, we're not even to the end of the first paragraph, and I'm already able to dissect one of the fallacies with uh, Natalie's op-ed. Okay. Yeah, I know it's a profile, but let's call it what it is. It's just an opinion piece uh, dressed up as a quote-unquote profile. <clears throat> okay. We have... We have to rediscover the eternal values and live them out, he says. Mr. Peterson, 55, a University of Toronto psychology professor turned YouTube philosopher turned mythical fog father figure, has emerged as an influential thought leader. The messages he delivers range from uh, Aries self help empowerment talk, clean your room, stand up straight, to the more retrograde and political. A society run as a patriarchy makes sense and stems mostly from men's competence. The notion of white privilege is a farce, which in today's society, folks, it is. Okay? And this is just the New York Times being their usual, uh, you know, left-wing self saying that Masculine, that masculinity is, the toxic masculinity is a, is a big problem. Uh, but no, it is a farce. Peterson is absolutely right about that. Okay. Going on. Don't want to get worked up with a rant before, uh, I even, you know, finish this article. Anyway, I'll save my rants till the end. He is the stately-looking, pedigreed voice for a group of culture warriors who are, who are working diligently to undermine mainstream and liberal efforts to promote equality. Uh, I'll save the comment for afterwards, because that's a bunch of bullshit. <clears throat> anyway, he is also very successful. His book, 12 Rules for Life, which is which was published in January, has sold more than 1.1 million copies. 
thanks to his YouTube channel, he makes more than $80,000 a month just on donations. Well, it's not donations, folks. If any of you guys know how Patreon works, people post content, and then people subscribe to that content. It's capitalism. Um, hundreds of thousands of people have taken his online personality tests in self-improvement writing exercises. The media covers him rel relentlessly. Yeah, so joke's on you, New York Times. I'm sorry, folks, I can't help but interject my uh, snide personal comments whenever the New York Times is uh, involved. Anyway, for two days in May, Mr. Peterson gives me a view of his life. He shows me his home, lets me listen in on his business calls and a Skype session with a fan, and follow him backstage during a speaking engagement at the Queen Elizabeth Smile at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre. He does not smile. He has weathered, gaunt face, and has bird furred eyebrows. He has written about dogs being closest in behavior to humans. But there is something extremely feline about him. He, uh, he always wears a suit. I'm a very serious person, he often says. You have four free articles remaining. Subscribe to it. Yeah, no thanks. Wherever he goes, he speaks in sermons about the inevitability of who we must be. You, you know you can say, well, this is unfortunate that chaos is represented by the feminine. Well, it might be unfortunate, but it doesn't matter because that's how it's represented. It's been represented like that forever, and there are reasons for it. You can't change it. It's not possible. This is underneath everything. If you change those basic categories, people wouldn't be human anymore. They'd be something else. They'd be, uh, they'd be trannish men or something. Oh, transhuman or something. We wouldn't be able to talk about these new creatures. Okay, do why men murder? Now this is my favorite part, so I'm going to try and do my uh, best Orson Welles dramatic impression. Um, Mr. Peterson's home is a crafty, is a carefully curated house of horror. He is filled with a sprawl of art that covers the walls from floor to ceiling. Most of it is communist propaganda from the Soviet Union, execution scenes, soldiers looking noble, a constant reminder, he says, of atrocities and oppression. He wants to feel their imprisonment, though he lives here on a quiet residential street in Toronto and is quite free. Marxism is resurgent, Mr. Peterson says looking ashen and stricken. I'd say it seems unnecessarily stressful to live like this. He tells me life is stressful. Which, uh, you know, ask any one of our regular chat room members. Life can be very stressful. Ask me. 
as a college student, life can be stressful. I don't know what's so controversial about that, folks. And back to the article. He he tucks his legs under him as he talks. Curled in a dark leather seat. He has been paddling around softly in socks. He looks down while he talks, and he makes fleeting, suspicious eye contact. He quit his private practice last year and is on an early sabbatical from the University of Toronto. He dragged the school into controversy in 2016 by opposing a Canadian bill that he believed would compel him to use a student's preferred pronouns. Okay, now let me put an asterisk on the end of that paragraph. Because for the uninitiated, depending on how you look at it, that statement he drags the school into controversy, that is, that's more of an opinionative statement than it is a fact. The, the reality is, folks, depending on how you look at it, if you're on the left, then yeah, he dragged the school into controversy. Obviously, the New York Times is biased to the left, so yeah, they're going to phrase it that way. But the way Peterson has explained it on numerous podcasts before, um, and in articles that he's written on his own, the university dragged him into the controversy by forcing him. So see, this is this is an example of blatant bias from the New York Times masquerading as an objective profile again. So, continuing on, that's another quick dissection. I am not going to be a mouthpiece for a language I did I detest, and that's that, he said, during a debate at the University of Toronto. Mr. Peterson, who grew up in Fairview, Canada, a small town in northern Alberta, spent his career teaching psychology at Harvard and then at the University of Toronto, all while running a clinical practice. The lesson most patients need to hear, he says, is grow the hell up, accept some responsibility, and live an an honorable life. We just haven't talked about that in any compelling way in three generations, he says. Probably since the beginning of the 60s. Why did he decide to engage in politics at all? He says a couple years ago, he had three clients in his private practice pushed out of a, pushed out of a state of mental health by left-wing bullies in their workplace. I asked for an example, and he sighs. He said, he says one patient had to be a part of a long email chain over whether the term flip shop Flip chart could be used in the workplace. Since the word flip is used 
as a pejorative for Filipino. She had a radical left boss who was really concerned with equality and equality of outcomes and all of these things and diversity and inclusivity and all of these buzzwords and she was subjected to. She sent me the email, Jay, 30 emails about whether or not the word flip chart was acceptable, Mr. Peterson says. Yeah, folks, you want to know the sad thing is, you know, I know for a fact well, that while well, I'm 99% positive that that probably happened, too. Because uh, it's getting this way here. Uh, also, I, for those of you watching on YouTube, and again, for those of you listening on the auto podcast, I'll link, uh, I'll link the article too, so that, that those of you listening to this can read the article for yourselves. But, uh, notice how in this photograph, they, uh, they paint him as being very haggardy, um, very tired and very kind of forlorn and depressed, almost kind of crazed. Like, yeah, that picture's not, you know, unbiased at all. Anyway, uh, back to the article. So he was radicalized, he says, because the radical left wants to eliminate hierarchies, which he says are the natural order order of the world. In his book, he illustrates this idea with the social behavior of lobsters. He He chose lobsters because they have hierarchies and are a very ancient species. And and are also invertebrates with serotonin. The lobster hierarchy has become a rolling cry for his fans. They put images of the crustacean on t-shirts and mugs. Uh, Ooh, yeah, that's so ominous that he puts lobsters on mugs and whatnot. Yeah, meanwhile... Owen Benjamin puts uh, bears, you know, grizzly bears on his, you know, mugs and on his flasks and whatnot. Ooh, it's all so, it's all so ominous. Speaking of, if, if any, if any of you guys have a, uh, have a kind of spear animal or like an animal that you think I should kind of do for my podcast, let me know in the chat or in the comments i'm curious to know or or you can tweet at me uh and let me know i'm thinking of going with like a yellow with like a yellow labrador retriever because well i just love dogs and i think that they're noble but let me know anyway uh back to the article the left, he believes, refuses to admit that men might be in charge because they are better at it. The people who hold our culture, who hold that our culture is an oppressive patriarchy, they don't want to admit that the current hierarchy might be predicated on competence, he says. Mr. Peterson illustrates his argument with copious references to ancient myths bringing up the stories of witches 
biblical allegories in ancient traditions. I ask why these old stories should guide us today. Really? Really, Nelly? I, I find it hard to believe that you, that you are New York Times and yet you, uh, you know, did you, uh, did you, uh, take English lit when you were in college? Because, uh, if you did, I'm sure, I mean, English lit, at least where I'm going to school, was, is mandatory for freshman students. So, uh, you know, anyway. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's just a little suspicious to me that, uh, a New York Times journalist would fail to, uh, you know, recognize the significance of why the classics and why myths and legends in the Bible would be, you know, allegorical for us to live by today. Then again, it is in the New York Times, so maybe they're, maybe they're, uh, you know, level of journalistic uh, standards has gone down for what they uh, require now. Probably so. Mm -mm. It makes sense. Okay, so going on. Mr. Peterson illustrates his arguments with copious references to ancient myths, bringing up stories of wishes, biblical allegories, and ancient traditions. I ask why these old stories should guide us today. Okay. It makes sense that a witch lives in a swamp. Yeah? He says, why? It's a hard one. Right. That's right. You don't know. You don't know. It's because those things hang together at a very deep level. Right? And it makes sense that an old king lives in a, des in a desiccated tower. But witches don't exist and they don't live in, in swamps, I say. Yeah, they do. They do exist. They just don't exist in the way you think they exist. You might say... You might you might say, well, dragons don't exist. It's like, yes, they do. The category predator and the category dragon are one in the same category. It absolutely exists. It's a superordinate category. It exists absolutely more than anything else. In fact, it really does exist. What exists is not obvious. You say, well, there are no such thing as witches. Yeah, I know what you mean. But that isn't what you think when you go to see a movie about them. You can't help but fall into these categories. There's no escape, escape from them. So another uh, brief interjection I want to uh, make here, ladies and gentlemen. And this is one thing I've noticed with uh, liberal, with with liberals and leftists just in general, and uh, I'm I'm I think I think Ludwig, you're you're a te you're a teacher, right? 
I, I mean, I know you're a music teacher, but you might be able to shed some light on this. The left doesn't understand uh, metaphor at all, okay? And Peterson speaks in metaphors, as does Milo a lot of the time, as does Ben Shapiro, a as do I. Okay, but liberalism, and this is this is one of the big problems with public education and uh, even the universities. People don't understand general general writing conventions, and they don't they don't understand metaphors or similes or anything like like that these days. So obviously, if this if this journalist doesn't understand. Uh, metaphors, then Peterson's whole statement about witches and whatnot is clearly going to go over her head. Mm -mm. Okay. Recently, back to the article. Um, recently, a young man named Alec uh, Maniason drove through Toronto trying to kill people with his van. Ten were killed, and he has been charged with first-degree murder for their deaths and with attempted murder for 16 people who were injured. Mr. Maniason declared himself to be a part of the misogynist group whose members call themselves incels. The term is short for involuntary celibates, though the group has evolved into a male supremacist movement made up of people, some celibate, some not, who believe that women should be treated as sexual objects with few rights. Some, some believe in forced sexual redistribution in which a governing body would intervene in women's lives to force them into sexual relationships. Violent attacks Okay, so I, I love what they're going to do because they're going to try and tie this radical group to, uh, to Peterson. They're not going to do it directly, but uh, they're going to do it subtly here. Violent attacks are what happens when men do not have partners, Mr. Peterson says, and society needs to work to make sure that these men, those men, are married. He was angry at God because a woman, woman rejected it. him, Mr. Peterson says of the Toronto killer. The cure for that is enforced monogamy. That's actually why monogamy emerges. Mr. Peterson does not pause when he says this. Enforced monogamy is, to him, a simple, rational solution. Otherwise, women will, will, only, will all only go for the most high-status men, he says. And that couldn't make either gender happy in the end. Uh, by the way, 
I'm going to say something controversial here. But Mr. Peterson isn't completely, completely wrong when he says that monogamy that monogamy would be the best cure for this. Right? Now, I don't think that what Peterson is saying here is that we should enslave women. But rather, how I've always interpreted Peterson's comments about monogamy, I've always interpreted them more, folks, personally, as more of a comment about um, women and men being allowed to just go and have sex with multiple partners aimlessly, you know, without any uh, repercussions whatsoever. That that's how I've that's how I've always interpreted this, right? The 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 quote unquote sexual revolution of the nineteen sixties was really the one that promoted uh love the one you're with. Not even so much love the one you love, but love the one you're with. You know, that that's what the whole summer of love was about and the whole sexual revolution of the nineteen sixties. So this whole bit about enforced monogamy Peterson is not suggesting that women should be shackled and forced into uh, monogamous types of relationships okay that's what the that's what the Times article suggests oh that you know Peterson, thinks that we should shackle women and, you know, force them into monogamous relationships. That That's the implication here, folks. But rather, he says that, rather the way I translate this, and the rather the way that any sane person would translate this comment, is that, in, is that monogamy would be a lot, enforced monogamy, meaning the promotion of monogamy, and the sexual partnership between two monogamous partners is a lot better for society as a whole as opposed to the randomness and chaos of um, you know, the sexual revolution quote-unquote so that's how that's how that could be translated again Again, this is a uh, complete, you know, slanderous piece. And a lot of a lot of Peterson's comments here are taken out of context, or there's no context given at, at all, which is why this is such a damning hit piece in general. Okay. <clears throat> Half the men fail, he says, meaning that they don't proc procreate, and no one cares about the men. Who fail. 
I laugh because I I laugh because it's absurd. This is the Times writer writing on that. Yeah, so I I was right, folks. She she really is a bitter feminist because uh, you know she's laughing at his remark, which is true. You're laughing about them, he says, giving me a disappointed look. That's because you're female. But aside from in. But aside from interventions that would redistribute sex, Mr. Peterson is staunchly against what he calls equality of outcomes, or efforts to equalize society. He usually calls them pathological or evil. He agrees that this is inconsistent, but preventing hordes of single men from violence, he believes, is necessary for the stability of society. Enforced monogamy helps neutralize that. Again, that whole comment with monogamy, which I just brought up 30 seconds ago, completely taken out of context. In sit okay. In situations where there's too much mate choice, a small percentage of the guys have hyper access to women. And so they don't form relationships with women, he said. And women hate that. Okay, so I will give them I will give Nelly credit here. She does br- she does actually bring the point up, but it, it takes her like about seven or eight paragraphs to bring it up, probably more. Helping men out one at a time. Okay, now I love this photo because <coughs> Peterson is <coughs> Peterson is uh, on stage here. He looks he looks very dapper. I'll, I'll give him that. But again, the photographer paints him as being like depressed and uh, you know anxious. Uh, the, the photographer, uh, you can see, uh, Dave Rubin is here, and, uh, the, the photographer also does a very unflattering, uh, you know, take on, uh, Dave Rubin here. You know, Dave, Dave Rubin, the photographer captured Dave Rubin here when he, he kind of looks, like, zoned out, or, um, you know, he's probably in the middle of, like, you know, speaking or saying something, but... But the way the photographer has this, um, you know, shot, uh, Ruben himself kind of looks like, I don't know, stoned or zone out. Very infla- this, this was a very unflattering, uh, photo and, uh, purposely done too. Yep. Uh, ha, rave Dubin. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, yep, this, yep, they got Rave Dubin in this, uh, picture. The, the, the exact, the exact opposite of Dave Rubin here. Instead of, uh, calm and composed Dave, we have his stoned and, uh, you know, disenfranchised cousin 
Rave Dubin, who looks, you know, confused and spaced out. Okay. Hmm. Okay, I, I love this. Mr. Peterson is a celebrity in the men's right in the men's rights community, a loose collection of activists who feel that men have been subjugated or betrayed by social progress. Some of these supporters pay $200 a month for a 45-minute Skype conversation with Mr. Peterson to discuss their problems. Mr. Peterson says the service has since been discontinued. Now, the reason why I'm on the verge of laughing, folks, is because... When the men's rights community, when when the men's rights movement started on Twitter, okay, the the men who started the men's rights activist groups on Twitter and on Facebook, they they started those they started those as a joke. It was satire of the women's rights movement. That's all it was. It was satire. It was poking fun at the feminist movement, the radical feminist, the feminist movement. And now, I, I love it, we actually have, we actually have the New, York, the New York Times of all institutions writing about the men's rights community as if it's a real thing. I, I love it. Of course, satire in some cases does become rea- reality, but uh, it, it's still funny in my mind. Um, before, before he leads me to his office to sit in on one of these appointment, appointments, Mr. Peterson shows me around the third floor of his home, which is filled with carvings made by Charles jo- Joseph, a Kawakawaka artist. I think that's how you pronounce it. Over over his bed is a painting celebrating electri- electrification in the Soviet Union. On the wall across from it is a hyper-realistic painting of two nude women with with swords. His bedspread is familiar. It's the same image as his Twitter avatar, a dark geometric design based on a piece of art he made out of foam core in 1985 that he called the music. He says it's an attempt to portray in image what music means. He has had it made into into a rug as well. Mr. Peterson has objects scattered and strewn throughout. There's a hat from a gulag, some steampunk masks he thought were cool, stacks of papers and cords, and a Kermit puppet as Zisterson because his fan because his fans joke that his Voice high and hoarse sounds like the Muppet. Mr. Peterson stresses the importance of cleanliness, but honestly, his office is a mess. So what? 
That would be my reaction. Um, back to the article. For the Skype call, he he wears a sharp blazer and a button down, but he sh but he sits shoeless and cross-legged. He knows where the frame cuts off. Again, I I have done the same thing. I've 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 worn a blazer on on this show before. I actually have a I actually have a blazer hanging hanging up here on my suit rack uh, right next to me, and, uh, I'm usually shoeless when I, when I do this podcast to folks in my office chair, um, you know, ooh, that, that's maniacal for some reason, though. The caller, Trevor Alexander Nestor, is a young white man, bearded, unemployed, at a friend's house. He later posted the audio on his own Patreon. I'm really hoping that someone is going to recognize my talent, Mr. Nestor says. Mr. Nestor says he recently wrote a paper on how testosterone levels and sperm count are dropping. He agrees so sociocultural transformations are probably making men less, less virile. And Mr. Peterson nods along. At one point in the discussion, Mr. Peterson, who has been relatively quiet, becomes heated on the topic of women who find marriage oppressive. Quote, so I don't, really, so I don't know who, who these people think marriages are, are oppressing, he says. I, I read... Betty Friedan's book because I was very curious about it. And it's so whiny. It's just enough to drive a modern person mad to listen to these suburban housewives from the late 50s ensconced in their comfortable, secure living and their comfortable, secure lives complaining about the fact that they're bored just because they don't have enough opportunity. It's like, Jesus, for Christ's sakes, you, you. Just get a hobby. Uh, Mr. Nestor says he was an engineering student at the University of California, Berkeley, but he decided to transfer after, feel after feeling overcome by the liberal dogma when he took theater classes for his humanity re required. They were teaching in the classrooms Things like Martin Luther King Jr. would have supported violent rebellion, and and marriage is an institution that is designed to control the sexuality of women. He says, which uh, yeah, when you're going to UC Berkeley, it doesn't really surprise me at all that they're teaching that kind of crap. But I digress. Back back to the article. Oops, my uh. My earbud fell out. Um, Mr. Peterson has a verbal tick where it makes a sound like mm-hmm, a guttural forceful noise to signify agreement barked in two distinct beats. His mouth stays closed. Ooh, how ominous. 
I've talked to a few young women, and they've told me they do wish they could be housewives. But what they've said to me is that they feel as though they were to pursue that, other people would look down on them. Folks, I've actually uh, encountered this myself, too. I know some, I know one or two women that, that go to my uh, college, and uh, they've said in classroom in classrooms and in classes that I've been a part of that they want to be wives as well, and the professors have, you know, kind of scoffed at them. So, uh, you know, this crap actually happens, ladies and gentlemen. It's not, it's not fake, despite what the New York Times would like you to think. I've had lots of women, women tell me that, Mr. Peterson says. Women will never admit that publicly. Women are likely to, to prioritize their children over their work, he says. Especially conscientious and agreeable women. When Mr. Peterson talks about good women, the sort a man would want to marry, he often uses these words, conscientious and agreeable. Mr. Nestor feels anxious, and Mr. Peterson has, says he should. My primary focus has been not to be homeless, Mr. Nestor says. You don't have a future and you don't have a job, and, and no bloody wonder you're anxious, Mr. Peterson says. That just means you're sane. Okay. Uh, okay, Th thanks for tuning in, Jason. Um, uh, male performance. Jacob Logan, 18, from Alliston, Ontario, was first in line for Mr. Peterson's talk on Thursday, May 3rd, at the Queen Elizabeth Theatre. He had arrived 12 hours earlier, wearing a shirt with lobsters stacked upon each other. He also had 100 name tags to hand out, on which he had scrawled the name Bucko. It's a nickname Mr. Peterson sometimes uses for his fans. Whenever I listen to him, it's like he's telling me something... It's like he's telling me something I already knew, Mr. Logan says. Learning is remembering. When Mr. Peterson comes down the line from shaking hands, the crowd cheers in a way that is not normal for a book tour. He is wearing a new three-piece suit, shiny and brown with white lapels, with a decorative silver flourish. It is evocative of imagery from a hundred years ago. That's the point. His speech, too, is from another Another stilted with old-timey phrases, a hypnotic rhythm. It's a vocal tactic he came to only recently. Videos from a, from a few years ago have him speaking in a more modern way. I ask him about the retro clothes and phrases. He calls it his. He calls it his prairie populism. That's what happens when you rescue your father from the belly of the whale, he says. 
you rediscover your tradition. Miss Bone loves her flight attendant job. Oh, let's see. Inside among the crowd was Sue Bone, 66, a retired flight attendant from Halifax. Miss Bone loved her flight attendant job until she began to find it dehumanizing and corporate. Her friend told her the airlines were now just run by angry gay queens, she says. She found Mr. Peterson. She feels he understands the danger of these strange new social forces. He is waking us up in the West, she says. Okay. We're almost done, we're almost done with this, and then uh, we can move on. The people have found their leader. You are a divine. You are a divine locus of consciousness, Mister Peterson tells the crowd of one thousand two hundred people, one thousand two hundred or so people. He looks down as he walks. He paces. He pleads. He often sounds frustrated. Like you've just heard something absurd and he's trying to correct you without raising his voice. He speaks for an hour or so without any notes. He runs his hands over his face when it's all too much. He cries often. We love you, a woman screams from the back of the house. Those with VIP tickets get to shake his hand and take a picture. Many times something as they stand, waiting for the flash. You made me have a, a religious experience. We got back into our faith because of you. This is another wedding you can take credit for. Mr. Peterson's response is often, how's that working out for you? Around midnight, there's still a group outside, lingering and talking. Uh, Lion Arar, 22, a theater student in Montreal, says that Mr. Peterson's discussion of gender brought him back to religion. It makes, it made sense in a primordial way when he, when he breaks down Adam and Eve. The snake in chaos, Mr. Error says. Eve made Adam self-conscious. Women make men self-conscious because they're the ultimate jaw. Judge. I was like, wow, this is really true. The changes that his life include starting to clean his room. My mom's been, been nagging me for years, but I've never done it until Dr. Peterson, he said. You organize one shelf, you do that. Just incremental challenges, he says. That makes you realize, okay, this is how I grow up. Andrew McVicars, 45, a waiter, says, it was good to hear someone finally talk about hierarchies we're okay. He says current politics 
are pushing for everyone to be the same, promoting women and minorities into into unearned positions. It's forced diversity. It's saying you must have X percent of ABC, he says. How about look at yourself? Okay. Now, here's... Here's the, uh, the picture of Peterson. They've, uh... I guess on stage at that, uh, event. Okay. Uh, Jeffrey Brouillard, 21, from Montreal, and also studying theater, says he was drawn to Mr. Peterson after watching a prominent female journalist grill him. Quote, How many times have I been in a situation where I've been set up to be the bad guy? Mr. Rillard asks. Listening to Dr. Peterson, I got a grasp of myself. It's things I already knew, but now I know how to process the thought. Agreeing, Mr. Eyre gave off the same guttural mm-hmm that Mr. Peterson does. The whore of women. This is the next section. To Noreen Shamim, who works at the Association for Women's Rights and Development, which is based in Canada, Mr. Peterson's philosophies are part of a bigger, of a bigger global backlash to gender equality progress. It's an odd story, really, she said. In a lot of nationalistic projects, women's bodies and sexualities become important sites of focus and control. Jordan exposed something that's been festering for a long time, says Justin Trottier, 35, the co-founder of the men's rights organizations, Canadian Association for Equality, and the Canadian Center for Men and Families. Jordan's forced people to pay attention. Mr. Trattier made headlines when his group called the, an- called the anti-man-spreading subway initiatives sexist. Which, uh, those anti-man-spreading, uh, initiative folks, they are indeed sexist. Mm, back to the article. Their musty space hosts event, events in which men discussed the prejudices they perceive against him. One of their group's main goals is waking the police up to female perpetuated domestic violence, he says. Mr. Trottier says, Now there's more acceptance of what we're trying to do, he says. There are now regular Jordan Peterson discussion groups. The one in Toronto meets once once a week at a restaurant called Hemingway's and is run by Chris Shepard, who used to be a professional 
pick up artists who coach men on how to lay, who coach men on how to get light fast at a club, but is now a dating co- coach. Mr. Shepard first encountered Mr. Peterson in a viral video of the pro- professor getting yelled at by campus activists. Watching the Stoke professor take on righteous LeBlanger touched Mr. Shepard. Campus campus uh, censorship has been a problem when I was at university too. He says at Hemingway's one recent afternoon. I ask for an example. That's the journalist. <clears throat> Quote, one law professor says something like, you young ladies should get married and start families. And he got fi- fired, Mr. Shepard says. The message was just, you'll have a happy life if you got mar- married instead of focusing on your career. Certainly not a firing offense, he says, except for now, it is. Alright, and that is the end of this Jordan Peterson op-ed, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, in my opinion, folks, it's, uh, it's pretty, well, if you want my honest opinion, folks, it kind of ends here abruptly, ladies and gentlemen, if you want the, uh, honest God truth, um, I mean, <sighs> yeah, it just, it ends abruptly, and it's just weird. Um, Nelly Bowles, the journalist, or I, I even, I even hate, I even hate to use the word journalist when, uh, referring to her here. It's such an obvious and, uh, blatant hit piece. The way she takes things out of, out of context here, here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the way she, says that oh those men those men's meeting groups that they talk about perceived they talk about perceived you know threats from feminists against them and uh i mean i i knew so here's the bottom line about peterson i knew that this was going to happen uh eventually here Ladies and gentlemen, I'm I'm not at all really surprised that this is happening. Um not 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 at all. It it it, it was a mat it was a matter of time before they went 
after Peterson and because he uh you know he's speaking against the feminist uh you know movement and uh third wave feminism so obviously they have to crucify him as like some sort of right wing misogynist and yet if you listen to any of Jordan Peterson's lectures he's not for enslaving women or degrading them rather he's he's for, he's for stating that hey traditional gender roles aren't that bad and yeah maybe maybe mormon would be happy if they could maybe they would be happier if they could uh successfully find a mate easier let's see Okay, uh, YouTube wants me to moderate this r real quick, so here I am moderating. Okay. Oh, uh, oh, I'm not, I'm not a moderator on this uh, channel for. Uh, I'm not a moderator. On my uh, alternative channel, which I'm viewing this. Never mind. Um, anyway, continuing on. As I was saying, uh, this is such a blatant hit piece on uh, Peterson, what it is in general. It, man, it's. To say it's a honest profile is laughable. It's so skewed in one direction. It's it's not it's not even funny against Peterson. But you know what? It's it's going to it's going to backfire on on uh, the New York Times. I think. I mean, the credibility is already shot. But I think, I think more and more people are just going to uh, start watching Jordan Peterson, Finn's uh, speeches and whatnot, and buying his book because of this piece. That's what I predict. Mm. Alright, uh, <clears throat> sorry about the, uh, sorry about the, uh, coughing here and uh, clearing my throat. <clears throat> As I mentioned, I've been fighting off allergies. It's it's that time of the year again, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but, the I mean, the, the Peterson thing was a big deal this uh, week, so I did want to spend so much uh, time on that just to kind of break down this op-ed people asked me to do that so that's what I wanted to do for this uh, show but uh, before we conclude the show I do have a couple of uh, things I, I do want to uh, cover in terms of clips because uh, you know clearly I, 
I do like to play other audio sound bites uh, from the week. So another big headline from uh, this week was the uh, the mainstream media claimed that Trump called all immigrants uh, animals, and this was a blatant lie. What Trump was referring to was, in fact, uh, MS-13. He called MS-13 a known uh, criminal uh, organization, a known gang. He called them animals, and yet the uh, the mainstream media has been parading around all week saying that Trump called all immigrants animals and that this is further proof that he's a racist and why we and that this is why we need to impeach him and uh this made a bunch of headlines this week again the press is doing a nothing burger because they 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 can't understand why Trump is so successful and why so many Americans like him so, as a result of this, ladies and gentlemen, now, they're just saying whatever they can to paint him as a, uh, a bigot. But, uh, Trump came back with what I thought was a brilliant, um, well, not even so much a brilliant retort to this, but just, um, a, ma a matter-of-fact statement. So, this, uh, this clip is from NBC News, I know, uh, but this is at one of the uh, president's press conferences uh, earlier this week. Cut number one, go. Yeah. Well, it has nothing to do with this meeting, but I'm referring, and you know I'm referring, to the MS-13 gangs that are coming in. Uh, and I was talking about the MS-13, and also, and if you look a little bit further on in the tape, you'll see that. So I'm actually surprised you're asking this question, because most people got it right. But I'm saying the MS-13, you don't have that where you come from. MS-13, these are animals. They're coming into our country. We're getting them out. They come in again. We're getting them out. We need strong immigration laws. We have the weakest laws in the entire world. We have laws that are laughed at on immigration. So when the MS-13 comes in, when the other gang members come into our country, I refer to them as animals. And guess what? I always will. But we're getting them out by the thousands. But it's a big, dangerous job. And they're able, in some cases, to come back in, or new groups come in, also from the gangs. Thank you. Hey, NBC News viewers, thanks for checking. Okay, shut up there. Uh, what's his face? The media bias against Trump. See, now they're not even able to criticize his policies all that well, ladies and gentlemen. They're literally searching for nothing at this point in a blatant attempt to try and smear him. And uh, the fact that 
Trump isn't playing ball with him is brilliant. By the way, most of those gangs from Mexico and South America are animals, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm curious, for those of you in the chat, has anyone here ever, has anyone here, uh, in the, in the chat, in the current chat, watched, uh, the show Narcos on Netflix? Okay, well, for those of you, uh, either watching or listening on the pot, on the podcast, Narcos is a show on Netflix, uh, it's a it's a historical drama. It, it it is based on fact, but some of it is dramatized, obviously for effect. But it's about uh, Pablo Escobar and the uh, and the Mandalorian cartel and the the DEA agents who uh, took Pablo Escobar down. And uh, a large and I mean the show. The show is really well done, folks. It's it's one of my favorite series on Netflix. It's it's one of the best series Netflix has put out in, in a while, I think. And it really shows the brutality of some of these, um, of the Colombian drug lords and the criminal cartels. And, uh, you know, they were brutal. And, I mean, Pablo Escobar himself was an animal, as Trump is describing things. He, he, he was a, he was a brutal animal. Um, and no one had a problem saying that back in the 80s and 90s when Reagan and, when Reagan was president and then when Bush the first was, uh, president. But this is how, this is just how uh, lopsided and stupid the media has become in this country in 2018. We can't even call criminals, uh, degenerate criminals, which is what they are. We, we can't even call animals for what they are, which is animals. And it's maddening. Well, this, uh, this unfair slandering of of Trump by the mainstream media. It's it was so outrageous that even Glenn Beck, who uh, who once hated Donald Trump, and who during the twenty sixteen election was head of the Never Trump movement, has said that. Now, he will vote for Trump in 2020. Okay? Let me repeat that once again. Because of the media's slanderous uh, remarks towards Donald Trump, and because the media is so dishonest, they are so vile, and everyone knows it now. Anyone with a brain knows it. Even Glenn Beck, who hates Donald, who, who once hated Donald Trump with a passion, 
and who was the self-acclaimed leader of the Never Trump movement during the 2016 election, even he is coming around and saying now that he will vote for President Trump in 2020 because he is simply disgusted with the way the mainstream media has treated our president. Uh, Take a look. Cut number two, go. Here's why I'm predicting a 2020 win. When I saw yesterday how the press was all reporting the same damn story that Donald Trump was calling MS-13 gang members, they left that out of the story, animals, and they were spinning it as if he was saying that about all immigrants, I'd had enough. I'd have enough. Media, if you can get me, Glenn Beck, to do this, and in case you're only listening to us on radio, I just donned a red Make America Great Again hat. If you can drive me to the point to where I say, uh, you know what, I've had enough. I'll vote for him in 2020. Gladly I'll vote for him in 2020. And not really even on his record, which we'll talk about here in a second, is pretty damn amazing. But if you can drive me to the point to where I'll wear one of these stupid red hats, I'm telling you, you're making a gigantic mistake. And I welcome it. I welcome it. Because anything that gets dishonest, corrupt people that don't care about the truth at all. So what did you do yesterday? What did you do after you said... Uh, oh, well, you know, Donald Trump, oh, he hates all immigrants. Look what he said. He called them animals. You just deleted the tweets. You deleted them. And then and then you have the audacity to start furthering the conversation on, well, you know, even if he did mean that, they're not animals. Shut up. Shut up. If those animals took your daughter and did what they've done to other Americans' daughters, you'd call them an animal. And if they're not animals, I don't know what is. Welcome back to the conservative movement, Mr. Beck. It's about damn time. Now, I've had issues with Glenn Beck in the past for criticizing Trump rather fair, rather unfairly and rather harshly. And I still don't appreciate the fact that he called Milo Yiannopoulos a Nazi and made comparisons to Joseph Goebbels and said that Trump was an ungodly man when, uh, you know, Beck, Beck, he had no, 
he had no right to make that proclamation that Trump was an un- ungodly man. He wouldn't know. That's only be between Trump and, you know, God to, to decide that. I was really pissed off with Beck during the election and even afterwards when he continued the ridiculous never Trump narrative. But I am willing to forgive him. And I understand that he's still skeptical of Trump in many ways. Listen, Trump's not a perfect president. And if we can't... If, and if we can't question him as conservatives ourselves, then we're not true conservatives either. But the fact that Beck is willing to stand behind the president and call the mainstream media out on their BS when they're being unfair tells me that Glenn Beck is coming back into the fold, and that is huge. Ladies and gentlemen, I I met him, I met Glenn Beck a few years ago in 2012, so, uh, you know, there's that, that, there's that too, and when I met Glenn Beck, he was still conservative, then he, uh, then he kind of lost his way, went went more into conspiracy theory, truther mode. Then he went into the whole never Trump phase. But now after about five years or so, it finally looks like he's coming back, back to sanity. And, and I'm glad. So I'm, I'm glad that he's willing to defend Trump and willing to call the mainstream media out on their bullcrap for, uh, being so dishonest and so disingenuous. But it also looks like he's willing to look at President Trump's uh, record and give it a fair shake as well. So let me continue this clip from uh, Glenn Beck. This is cut number two. Uh, Clip number two, continued, uh, go. Now, does that mean that we just shoot them in the streets and then eat them? No. What are you? Are you a first grader? Oh, no, you're not. Oh, you keep reminding us that you're some of the best educated people in the world. And don't tell me, New York Times, that you didn't have a fact checker on it. Did nobody in the entire New York Times, did nobody in the Associated Press stop and say, wait a minute, can we see what the sentence before this clip was? The sentence before. It's not like you had to go a long way for context. Just about 10 seconds. Rewind the tape about 10 seconds. See, you know why people are done with this? Yeah, you can say Donald Trump is a bully. And you know what? Donald Trump doesn't need anybody to defend himself. Um, he is he is quite capable of taking care of himself. That's clear. But he's one guy. And this is the way it's beginning to appear. And it has for a while. 
But when you can get me to don a Make America Great Again hat, I think it's permeated everywhere. He's one guy. You're a legion of people. And don't think that I don't think at some point you might say, we are legion. You're a legion of people with global resources, 24 hours a day, hammering one man, just hammering over and over and over again. And you don't believe in your case. You don't believe that the truth is enough. You just got to make stuff up. You, this is truly Trump derangement syndrome. You have to look at this man and say, okay, you know what? There's some things I don't like. There's some things that maybe I do like, or there's things that he does that I think are really wrong. But look at these. These things are changing the world. Now, how you balance that is fine, but you can't give this guy anything. In fact, it's not that you won't give him anything. It's not that you just won't report on good things. You have to make up bad things. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. So that is today, and I know I ask forgiveness on Donald Trump from Donald Trump on this. Please forgive me, Mr. Trump, for predicting that you will sweep in 2020. Because every time I ever am for a candidate, they always lose. So I won't endorse you because that's the kiss of death. But I will tell you, the things that you have done as the president, are remarkable, remarkable. I yesterday, because of the New York Times and Associated Press, I yesterday went and looked at your campaign promises, and then I looked at what you've done. I'm going to do that on the radio here in just a second. It's remarkable. And in fact, just Israel alone may be the ballsiest and best thing I have ever seen any president do in my lifetime. And that's saying something, because I'm a pretty big fan of, oh, I don't know, killing communism with Ronald Reagan. Holy shit. Glenn... Glenn Beck is back. As I as I said before, folks, I've I've been skeptical, uh, you know, that he would ever come back to the, to the conservative movement. But it fully, uh, you know, it fully seems that this is the case. And you know, if uh, you know, since Beck seems to be willing to uh, give Trump a second chance. I mean, I, I'm glad that this is the case. Uh, if that's the case, welcome back to the uh, conservative movement, Mr. Beck. I'm glad you finally saw the uh, saw the light. All right, we have one final clip to uh, play here, and then we'll be hitting ten o'clock. 
or pretty close to it, which will be the end of the show. Uh, going back to uh, Jordan Peterson, I wanted to play this clip for you a few... Uh, I wanted to play this clip for you a few weeks ago, but uh, it wasn't here yet. Uh, we've kind of had a Jordan Peterson-themed show this evening. Um... So what I what I want to do this is the clip of uh, Jordan Peterson's appearance on Real Time with with Bill Maher when he asks how can the country uh, be unified how can the divide between left and right in this country be gapped how can it be abridged and no one on this panel gives Peterson an honest, uh, I feel at least, no one on this panel gives Peterson an honestly thought, well thought out answer. Uh, clip number three, go. But, 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 make, but make no mistake about it, it's locked and loaded. Can, can, can I ask a, can I ask a, like, a question I get about this? Yes. I mean, please. I've been listening to yeah. all of this about Trump and watching how these conversations go in the U.S. And I have yeah. one question about it. I mean, there's all these people in the U.S. who are on the conservative side who are aligned with Trump for all sorts of reasons. And there's all this tension around his presidency and attempts to pull him out of his office for various reasons. And like, what what do you think will happen if that comes to pass? What? What do you think will happen to these people that have identified with Trump? And, and like, how is it that, that, that Democratic types, for example, are holding out their hand to say to these conservative types, sort of like, welcome back into the fold? Because it looks to me, from an, out, from an outsider's perspective, that, that your country is polarizing in a way that's not good. And that, you know, people are going after Trump. And I understand that. It's not like I don't understand that. But there's all these people that elected him and that are identified with him, and they're they're not taking this well, you know, and so, well, they're not, they're not, it's not, and, you know, you might not think they're very bright and all of that, and, and you know, they're backwards and, and, and all of those things, but, but, you, but you, you know, you need to have respect for the rest of your citizens, and if, you're, if your country isn't going to pull itself apart, and I really see this happening from an outsider's perspective when I come down here, and I lived in the States well, for a while, and it wasn't like you know, this before. If he, if he was just a regular Republican president with Republican policies, I would say you'd have a point. But what, what is so alarming is the assault on democratic norms, what we were talking about mm -hmm. here today. Things like threatening to put people in jail, threatening to put journalists in jail, wanting military parades, praising dictators, wanting to be a dictator. I mean, we are at a moment here. This is, I try to impress on this on the people who are too young to remember a lot of presidents and a lot of mm. elections, how incredibly different this is than anything that ever came before. I never much liked the other Republicans who were in office, but I have a renewed respect for them. George, <laughs> George Bush and Mitt Romney would not have tried to pull this shit. They just wouldn't. What about Nixon? Nixon got caught, and he gave himself up, basically. Well, although, he, although this president makes the Watergate burglars look brilliant. Right. <laughs> well, but it, it seems to me that it's not... Point, we, can, we can be as tough as we're being on the president, I think we should, for all the reasons you just said, Bill, without telling him...
Okay, I, I want I want you to notice something here real quick. Peterson asks a fairly, I think at least, fairly straightforward uh, question. How can we unify the country? That the country isn't isn't unified. At no point do any of the panelists answer this question, at least not yet in this clip. Well, Richard Nixon, not even Richard Nixon would have tried to pull the shit that, you know, Trump has. Romney and Romney and Bush, I, I would have still respected them. By the way, go back to any of uh, Mars, go back to any of Bill Mars uh, episodes. Go back to any Bill Maher clips from the 2012 election. He's en- he's endlessly mocking Mitt Romney and criticizing him and calling him the worst human being. So, uh, yeah, Bill, I'm going to say this. You're full of shit. You're full of shit. And, uh, and so is this entire panel. It's 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 not just Trump derangement sy- syndrome that the left is suffering from, folks. It's it's not even it's not even conservative derangement syndrome. I, I, that's certainly part of it, but it's more just moderate derangement syndrome, right? Anyone who is not exactly as far to the left as they are is their enemy. Anyone who doesn't agree with them exactly 100% must be like a Nazi, a sexist, a racist, a homophobe, all of, all of those buzzwords. And, uh, yeah, that's why the New York Times, that's why CNN, that's why uh, Real Time, that's why nobody likes these shows. I mean, it's it's a it's a good thing H- HBO has Game of Thrones and uh, Silicon Valley and a few other good uh, you know drama and comedy series because if you guys had to rely on Bill Maher for for uh, ratings, HBO would be in the toilet right right about now. But I digress. Anyway, like I said. They have not managed to answer JBP's uh, question out at all. And yet, and yes, Kimmy, uh, I know you love JBP. I'm uh, I'm warming up to it myself. I'm not totally in the in the uh, Jordan Peterson fan group yet. I I haven't bought the book yet, but the more and more the left complains, I'm the more tempted I am to do so. Continuing on. ...his supporters that they're stupid without saying basket right. of deplorables. If we want to bring them around to what I would say is a more enlightened 
uh, kind of thinking. And I if, agree. We want, if we want them to see Donald Trump as someone who's turned the presidency into one long infomercial for Mar-a-Lago, you know, we're, we can do that without saying to them, you've been duped, you're chumps, you're dumb, you're deplorable. And I think we need to talk to them with more generosity than we do. I'm, you're, you're, I'm confused about how this dovetails with your... Okay, that was the first semi-decent comment that I've heard from anyone on the panel. The guy who, who just spoke said that we at least need to speak to Trump supporters. Yeah, no crap you guys do. Thesis that the left is too preoccupied with being non-confrontational. Right? Why is the it, left is too preoccupied well, just that with we are, that That's interesting. Okay, yeah, that's, no, all right. No, that's I'm a good question. The idea that, that liberals, especially <laughs> intellectuals, are, are preoccupied with politically correct speech, that they're oh, not... Oh, I see, I see. And, and yet... No, they're pre too preoccupied with, with identity politics by a large margin. And they tend to categorize everyone by their ethnicity and their sex and their gender. And I think all that does is turn people into tribal actors and that the end result of that is catastrophe. But weren't you also saying, though, that, that the left is too worried about offending people? I think that that goes along with... I will. But, yes, right. yes. Well, that goes... <laughs> but then on the other hand, when the left, for example, offends people in the political sphere, you're questioning whether that's somehow bad for society writ large. Well, I'm concerned about, I don't, I think that those two issues are, I think that those two issues are somewhat separate. I'm concerned about the, the dialogue in the United States around the presidency pulling people, people farther and farther apart. It has nothing to do with the behavior of Trump. I think this is an independent issue. You can, you can say, Positive or negative, but he's only Trump there because they might. support him. You see, I, I know mean, that's the thing. Is it's but that's the issue. That's the, that's the issue. Is they did support him, and without and so the circus, he's just a lonely clown. <laughs> yeah, but he has these these people in Congress who are enablers, and this base that it is a cult of personality, not unlike dictatorships we've seen in the past. I mean, he said once, famously, "I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not lose any fans." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And, he, and he has proved that to be almost true. I mean, we cannot imagine what he would do where they were turning him, because I don't know what that would be. I don't think it's anything, because whatever it was, he would just say, well, it's fake news. But, but OK, and so imagine he's impeached just for the sake of argument. Impeach or convicted. OK, either of those. But it seems to well, me that, that matters. One, he has to leave. Yeah, no, it's not it's not an unimportant detail, but it still seems to me that it leaves you with the problem of what do you do with the disaffected 40% yes. that are going to be very unhappy right. about this, independent of Trump's behavior? Kind of like the Sunnis after we kicked over Saddam. Well, that's, that's a they hell of became a precedent ISIS. to cite. Yes, mm, right, that's right. what I worry yes. about. Let me Trump's suggest that this is an argument uh, looking for... Hey, if Bill Maher is concerned with uh, Trump support, supporters... I mean, I, I can't even be insulted by that by that remark uh, just because it's laughable. Bill Maher just try, tried basically to say that if Trump were to impeach, that Trump, that Trump supporters would, you know, would congregate and become like an ISIS type regime. Do you know how 
illogical and just downright stupid that comparison sounds. ISIS is in a whole nother universe of, I mean, let's just, let's just accept for, let's accept Bill Maher's premise for a sec that Trump supporters are insane and crazy. Let's just, let's just accept that premise as being true for a sec. Okay, what the, what the hell does that make ISIS then? Okay. If, if Trump supporters are crazy, what does that make ISIS then? Keep in mind, ISIS is the, is the group of freaks from the Middle East who have no qualms with beheading journalists and innocence on camera and broadcasting it for the for the entire world to say even even in Bill Maher's retarded land of liberalism and i mean that that is partially why real time is so great because in Believe me, there have been there have been moments where I have given Bill Maher credit on things when he when he's called out other liberals for being uh, too soft on Islam. I get that, but then there are other moments like this where I'm just like, okay, Bill Maher is still a stupid liberal. Like I said, there there are times when I do want to uh, you know give Bill Maher credit for at least trying to be semi-intelligent, but then there are other moments like this where I'm like, how does Bill Maher even make the connection between Trump supporters and ISIS members, for God's sakes? It's, it's retarded. It's little, it's, this is literally the definition of retarded, and how I, I think, I think I might even know some medically retarded people who make more sense than this. In fact, I'm I'm pretty sure people with Down syndrome couldn't even couldn't even make the <laughs> I'm pretty sure people with Down syndrome have more logic than this. Not even they would compare Trump's uh, Trump's mortis to ISIS. It's laughable how bad how bad this is. And again, only one guy has on this panel has basically said, yeah, you know what, maybe we should start a dialogue with Trump supporters. One guy out of six people on this panel, not including Peterson. Argument rather than a solution. We're not waiting for impeachment. We're making sure that people understand Donald Trump cannot stop us today. Donald Trump could not stop me from the first net neutrality bill to make sure people have access to the Internet. He could not stop us from doing that. He cannot stop us. 
He cannot stop us from acting on climate change with all this bloviating saying it, it's just a hoax. He can't stop us from fi fighting climate change. He can't stop us from having the best uh, paid family leave well, and sick leave he, policy. He can't stop us. He, when we demonstrate people progress in our states. Washington state. No. Yeah. <laughs> but he, 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 no one that's can stop us from certainly, He certainly is state. stopping us from protecting the environment. He has signed executive orders, right? The first thing he did in office would, has, was to sign an order that said, hey, you want to dump your coal sludge in the streams? Go right ahead. The head of the EPA is Scott Pruitt. He's reversed all of... All no, of he this. just changed it to the Environmental Pollutant, Pollutants Association. I, I know, but, but just to say he can't stop us... And he's is, changed the is, tax it, landscape everywhere. Absolutely. I mean, environmental Pollutants Association, that, that was the last horrible attempt at comedy that was a bad attempt at a joke okay the left isn't funny even when they try they're not save the save the political comedy to someone like Dennis Miller or Owen Benjamin or someone who can at least do it hell I'm 23 and I'm better at it same same with same with my friend uh GJ DJ near DJ knee here say save the jokes for him he's better at it and he wears suspenders and weird glasses so uh do anything he's in your state and he's appointing with, yeah. he's appointing crazy judges left and yes. right so here's he's changing deal. things as we and speak we're, we're we don't cover it because of stormy daniels but all of this is going on <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? He's okay. Get used, get, get used to it. Okay. All right. We didn't get to any questions, but it was a wonderful panel. Thank you, everybody. Happy Okay. So in that, oh God, I don't, I don't. Yeah. Let me change the cam, the camera. So in that entire clip, the panel doesn't even even answer. Uh, you know. Peterson's question, which is basically, hey, how do we, uh, how do we unite the country? So, eh, I, no, I, I, I've, I've seen you wear, I've seen you wear, wear glasses, knee, and now you're, now you're trying, well, I've seen you wear sunglasses, how's, how's that, I, I've seen, I've seen you wear those fancy, uh, Knee TV glasses, which now you're you're selling as part of your your uh, insurance thing. But by the way, uh, go go to go to uh, ladies and gentlemen, and sign up for uh, one of their plans. So uh, there, there we go. There, there you go, Nia. I just, I just shield for you. So, um, but, uh, anyway, yeah, so, yeah, that, so again, I, I want to, like I said, I, I want to, every time I want to give Bill Maher credit for saying something, you know, semi-smart, like criticizing Islam, Believe me, he 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 will say some smart things like that, but then he'll also say uh, you know dumb things like 
you know, Trump supporters are one step away from ISIS. It, like I said, it's, it's stupid. It's utterly stupid. Alrighty, folks. Well, we had a jam-packed, uh, show tonight, and, uh, it's five minutes after ten, so I think it's time to just about wrap up the show. Uh, like I said, uh, at the beginning of the show, we're gonna be changing the time, uh, the show will be starting at 6 next week as opposed to 8 uh, in preparation for uh, the Danger Zone starting at 8 next week. Uh, unless, unless, of course, Brian... I'll, I'll have to talk to Brian Eskew about uh, that. So I'll have to ask to... Uh, I'll have to ask Brian Eskew about that. He, he, he might... He might start the danger zone at, at ten. I I might be able to keep the to keep the slot. <laughs> uh, I, I don't I don't know. So, uh, anyway, now and now now John is uh now John <laughs> now John is trolling himself with uh with two accounts. See, this is this is when the show gets really entertaining. When when the chat <laughs> when the, when the chat gets uh involved. Um, anyway, folks, like I said, uh, well, we'll be making announcements regarding the, uh, the time change, regardless. Um, but anyway, folks, uh, as I always mention at the end, at the beginning and the end of the show, if you like the show, please, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, give us a thumbs up, we've received 13 likes on the, uh, on the live stream so far one dislike which uh, is good even if you dislike it's still feedback so that's better than nothing uh so give us a like comment and subscribe to the channel subscribe on apple podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts anchor.fm forward slash whitfield report is where you can subscribe to the audio podcast if you can follow me on Twitter at Sandwave underscore NGC, hashtag Whitfield Report. You can go to uh, Gab and follow me on Gab at Sam Whitfield. Follow me on Instagram at SamW underscore NGC. Go to my website, thesamwhitfield.com, and facebook.com forward slash Whitfield Report is where you can find the show notes and everything else. And with that, folks, that is the show, and I am out of here. I'll see you next week for another edition of the Field Report. Good night, God bless, and God save this great nation, ladies and gentlemen. God bless.